0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today.
1: Hello, Dreamer. Welcome back to the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show. I'm so excited to be with you today. So in my last episode, I had the blessing of interviewing... Raymond Moody and Paul Perry about their latest book proof of life afterlife. And I thought the conversation was over when I concluded the last interview. But Dr. Raymond Moody kept talking. And I had the um, awareness to keep recording And of course I told him at some point in the, in the rest of the interview that I was recording, but he kept going and he was on fire and he shared so many riveting bits of information that were, so it was like the show behind the show, but I'm just so glad. So here's part two of my interview with Dr. Raymond A. Moody and Paul Perry regarding their book, Proof of Life Afterlife. Enjoy.
2: Now, say it again. This is Moody's Three Laws what of Troubles. Yeah. yeah, Moody's, Moody's three, three Laws, laws of, of Troubles. And then the, the corollary of it is the law of normality. But the, the Three Laws of Troubles. Oh, are... I'm sorry. Stop. Okay. Uh... Just a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record it, too.
1: These three laws
2: of trouble okay so and this is, all is i've tried this troubles. everywhere everybody this is raymond moody's three laws it, of trouble it's the everybody says and I've, I've done this in europe i did it in china everywhere you go in south america and uh the three laws of troubles are number one everybody's got troubles right mm-hmm. yeah number two everybody's troubles are the worst troubles in the world. Mm. And number three is one, At the moment that you put one set of troubles to bed, another equally or more daunting set pops up out of nowhere to take their place. And that is the best argument that I know for the existence of God. (laughs) because somebody's got to be timing that and i think it's God. i mean god doesn't send us here on a pleasure mission exactly i mean part of it but you know we're here to learn things and you know he keeps us throwing this stuff it's it's like you can't you know it's relentless it's relentless. it's like a big cosmic gang of whack-a-mole
1: well, yeah. you get as
2: soon as one set go he, say, he says all right now try this right there's right. no such thing as a pleasure mission anyway like <laughs> right? even if you take the most beautiful cruise on the most beautiful yeah, trip, you're going right. to find a problem <laughs> that's right that's yeah.
1: right Also, oh, so if you accept this then it stops then but it stops being quite as as difficult because we, we we take the personalness out we just think oh it's,
2: this is the nature of life i
1: signed up for this that's, here we yeah. go life is in session there you go
2: it's the theater and you know right. uh, uh, aristotelian listening to this would say raymond moody is committing a logical fallacy because he's taking one aspect of the human experience namely the theater and he's projecting it out as a model of the whole and that's a logical fallacy it's literalizing a metaphor. But I say, oh no, it, it ha- it's not a fallacy because it happened the other way around. Yeah. I say mm-hmm. that the reason why we have the theater is that people like Aeschylus and Sophocles and Euripides were thinkers who just like older people realized the older you get, oh, this is like a player's script. So they said, oh, then because of this one discovery, the guy stepping out of the chorus and speaking his own lines created a sensation, right? Like more, more, more. So the Greeks, what's it about competition? Let's have a contest first winner, Aeschylus, who's still being performed, right? Yeah. Then Sophocles and Euripides. And, and you know, the, and that didn't happen. But it happened because that's the way we are set up, is that we story form our life. Hmm. And that the older you get, the more you do that. And when you see that the essence of it is story. So do you think think the constant replacement of troubles are part of a story for them? Yeah, I mean, there's got to be troubles. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, it would be, I can't imagine a life. Right. You know, what I I think I've used for 10 or 15 years now that people respond very strongly to is, I asked them, suppose that you were diagnosed with horrific and horrific infection that necessitated that you be isolated all by yourself on a desert island for 10 years. Okay. And Mm -hmm. they could take you out there in a cargo plane that had all the food and water and medicine you'd need for 10 years. But there's some extra space in which they can send a DVD player and let's say 5,000 DVDs or 10,000 DVDs. So what I ask people is, would you choose all comedies? And only three people, all who had that vacant look in their eyes, mm-hmm. said yes. Oh no! You know, uh, just very no, no. Yes, you know, very few people. that when they think about, it, would you choose all comedies? No. So I say, well, would you choose some tragedies? Oh. And then I say, well, when Woo! you were out there on that desert island watching that tragedy, would you be crying? And of course you would, because that's the experience of it. And so, you know, if you assuming that as I do, that you come, there's another context before this thing we're in now. Whereas Plato said, this kind of thing. You see a flat screen. And he said on it are not. He said he didn't say lives. He said all the patterns of life you could so there's a choosing process and sorting process mm-hmm. and then he says you come in here and you go mm-hmm. through what's called an event barrier where it's um it's like the mind it's like when you you're in the kitchen and you're in the living room and you decide you want to go into the kitchen right what happens as mm-hmm. soon as you go through the you want to get something in the kitchen right so mm-hmm. as soon as you go through the kitchen door you forget what you came in there for right and plato (laughs) says it's like that's how it is when we come over here and that my point is that even oh my god i love that on see it's it's part of the story and then and then at the end then at the end god freezes all the frames everything and puts them in this hologram (laughs) and you watch it you watch everything at once in an instant in no time, in a no time state of existence. And you re witness it not just through your eyes, but through empathically through the consciousness of others. It's it's, God God. is mind boggling. Well, but it's God is familiar with our story. When we, you know, that's the, mm. I think it's the mm. Kulikov effect where cinematographers say if you take a uh, a pencil and a diet coke can or any two random objects mm-hmm. and you present them in a sequence to people the mind automatically starts weaving a story and so consciousness itself mm-hmm. is narrative which is why I think <laughs> the ultimate skeptic David Hume said the only kind of afterlife that he could comprehend would be a rational person could entertain would be the reincarnation and he didn't say why but i'm assuming it's because he was a historian so he understood that you know narrative is just a mat is a necessary part of the human experience it used to be mythology but you know and then it but it's um narrative is what this is all about oh Raymond so dinner. true. That's one of the best riffs I've heard from you in ages.
1: I wow. well, listen this. One so lucky.
2: The By the way, I give it in its entirety in my book. Didn't want to mention that, but because you know we don't, don't want to confuse the people. But I have a self-published book called uh, um, uh, "God Is Bigger Than the Bible," yeah, where I talk about my consciousness, my narrative-based theory of personality oh. Mm-hmm. Awesome. oh that's
1: good i've i've always said god is doesn't fit into the
2: bible god yeah, yeah like right. god is bigger in the you bible got, you just gotta, and also all those bible watchers. you know what i've discovered about i've never read the bible and i know enough about the bible to know i don't know much about the bible but a lot of people are not aware of that 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 they are not knowledgeable about the Bible and they will make all kinds of pretensions. So what I did, I just learned a tiny little bit, just, mm-hmm. you know, just, and so then I would ask people, and you know, invariably, they don't know any more than I do. It's just that they've got to present, just present this bravado about the Bible. It's like they all use it. Right. It's bibliolatry is what that's called. It's like worship of a book. Mm. and i do Ooh. i've never read the bible and i've never been religious and i talk to god every day and he has never said a word to me about the bible or about religion <laughs> <laughs> and i think he would if he if he had any interest in me thinking about it oh that
1: is that is so amazing i am just so glad that my one o'clock session Cancelled because this is just, I feel so, I feel like I won the lottery having Mm -hmm. this conversation with you too. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to just share this little thing just because I think it's interesting and, you know, you might like it. This, this um, young woman came to me for session. She was actually, she was the niece. So this is, there's another niece and young girl situation. So I told you about the one that passed away. I've got two of these in my life. This other young girl with cystic fibrosis, she died at 19 years old. Her name was Claire Wineland and she became pretty famous because she was doing a lot of YouTube videos from her hospital room and she made, she just kind of shined a lot of light of what it's like to be terminally ill and be in the hospital and be a kid who she's pretty, she's like her her, I mean, she was just an incredibly funny and deep character. Anyway, she came to me for sessions because I'm a dream person, and she was having a series of dreams. Hmm. We called them bridge angel dreams, and it all started with her climbing up like a jack in the beanstalk kind of a, a thing that led her up to what she called. She was an atheist, but she went to this place that she called... What did she call it? She just called it like, I think she didn't call it heaven. It was just like love, beauty, something like that. But she said once she got there, she didn't need her oxygen tank. So she threw it down and she was able to do cartwheels and she was able to, and then she was able to know the answers to everything, including why the boy she liked wasn't calling her back and why, and then she asked, why do I have this disease? And she got the answer because because she had always assumed it was because she had done something wrong or that she was bad and she and what she got was you have been so good that you it. get the gift of a yeah. short life that has impact and that you get to do all the things that everybody wants to do that yeah. takes them decades you get to do it all so quickly anyway yeah. she was sent to she was given the assignment yeah. to go to the bedside of somebody who was dying that she didn't know and because she knew how to get to this place her job was to be very compelling even though they didn't want to leave they wanted to stay with their family she had to say oh my god you have to see this place it is amazing come with me and they would come with her and then they'd hug her and they'd be so happy she would do this night after night after night hmm. hundreds of these dreams with all these strangers people that she'd never seen so yes. And now she's on the other side, and I said, "Please be my Uh bridge angel when the time comes." But have you heard anything
2: quite like this? You know, that is not surprising to me, and it's extraordinary at the same time. I mean, you know, this this system we're in is so fluid in its own that one of the big limits on it is the what can be conventional, you know. And I mean, at a certain point, once the the movie starts talking about itself and how it's being, a, it's a movie. Then the spell breaks, right?
1: Oh, like the
2: aside. The, well, the, it's the, kind of like, you know, how much of knowledge about the afterlife could this life tolerate without breaking apart? <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, right. it's, because it, it's it come would come a point, I guess, where the object would be gone. So I mean it's a really interesting mm. question, which is shaped by all kinds of factual things, which are absolutely true, which are absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I, I can't go into I mean it's too not time, but Kelly, but you know, for example, say people contrast yeah, yeah. logic with the other side, you know. Well, in fact, what we know is logic came here from the other side the man who invented it said he got it from a goddess in the other world (laughs) and you know i mean it's just very bizarre (laughs) the the way this thing is structured that we're in and so we've got it upside down right it's at some point it would have to kind of unravel i would think with or or that or that people would have to come, with, if, if people really did have a rational comprehension of the afterlife, one thing we can know about them is that they would not be loved like us. That they would have a whole new way of thinking Because in the that? logic that we have, it's it doesn't make any sense to say there's an afterlife, because that's a self-contradiction. Mm. But nonetheless, Ooh. as I gather, there is. See. So what that means is there's some flaw in this. I know in physics now, some people are it's this is goes way back to Plato who saw it, he said, well, what if we had people constrained in a cave down below and they're constrained so they can only look at the back wall of the cave and then behind them there's a fire and shadows, they they would take the shadows to be real. Well, nowadays, the physicists are now saying, is this a simulation? But it's the same thing and or same thing I'm saying by saying it's it's an illusion that has a narrative structure. And that what people want when they say they want an the afterlife is that they want the story to go on. Right. 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 Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. But the trouble is that it's it's the transition is to another form of literature, I guess. I mean it's, you you don't go into a story state of consciousness on the other side apparently. Mm-hmm.
1: It has,
2: okay. I asked what you know here it's time and space is the orienting principles. But mm-hmm. I asked Evan, I said, you know, there's no time and space there. What what are the orienting principles? And he said, love and know.
1: Say that again, love and knowledge.
2: Love and knowledge. Yeah. is people like, you know, like George Ritchie and others described I me mean, like a whole institution of higher learning that, and, you know, that is just like George Ritchie said, if you try to imagine MIT and Caltech and, you know, University of Virginia and, uh, you know, Harvard and Yale and Princeton. I just try to squeeze them into one that you you can't even imagine. It's like it's it's like a whole realm where people are pursue knowledge.
1: When I think about the story in your book that you you did bring up in this interview about the doctor, I can't remember his name, who got I think he got he he got really ill and and nearly died, and then and realized that he had been sort of a Scrooge character. Her bed had been very materialistic and judgmental, but he came. Oh, that was, uh,
2: was yeah, that's. Or was that Raj? Raj. That was Raj. So,
1: so would you, I'm always, I'm always curious about like, okay, what's the point? Like if the point of, of packing this world in with as much science and data and content as possible about the other side so that it breaks open so that it does break. Hmm. And most people that have either had their own direct experience or they know somebody that's had an experience or they read about it, it does alter them. It does make them more, more like what happened to Raj. Like it, it is, it's an evolutionary quantum leap right in some way so if we were going to leap all the way to the apex of maybe what we can even imagine what would be what do you imagine mm-hmm. life on earth as a human that is still oriented a bit by time and space but we have right. absolute There's awareness
2: yeah it what? has happened it's happened like? before it's happened before it's it's like, it's like
1: and-
2: well like it what it involves is it when that happens it usually has in the past involved a mental process that I call a logico spiritual exercise. In other words, in a situation where people's rational principles are somehow inconsistent or in consonant with the things that are happening around the the experience that seems there but it doesn't fit into the rules then there is at numerous times in history there have been people who break through it who use logic to bring the mind to a higher what is appears at that time to be a spiritual level Mm-hmm. And the the first and primary example of it that I know of would be the Pythagorean. Uh, the, but mm-hmm. see, it's like you think about you in, in the 11th grade or whatever, you learned about the Pythagorean theorem and have the company, you can figure it out. But mm-hmm. And so it's just something you learn in the 11th grade. But imagine the mindset of people who first discovered that just a minute here if you can take these two or three things that are just you know just completely obviously true and then you can go from them to something else biological inference, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and then you can go then the next step and the next step and then it becomes clear that The square on the hypotenuse is equal to the sum of the squares on the other two sides. That is astonishing in that context, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's normal to you, but think back to the origins of it, that people realized that you could go, and this was before there was, or about the time there was writing it it helped but it was an independent development but they they realized and it was a spiritual exercise mm-hmm. they would learn how to do it and so from their point of view see they were going to a higher level into some other higher level mm-hmm. of existence. Mm-hmm. and and i know it does it sounds not to us it sounds like that because you learn it in the 11th grade but i'm saying to them now the next step and partly you're you're defining knowledge as spiritual too right well uh, yes i mean in the sense that they didn't distinguish but but um then the next step was see in this context strange as it seems to you and me kelly that no there was no such thing as a notion of truth as you and i appreciate it because as I learned from my watching my own kids, especially my daughter, and mm-hmm. who was just always a thinking person. And she, you know, I, when she was three years old, she, she, I, you know, I knew from her discourse that she understood the concept of truth. Mm-hmm. And because what, what right truth on, is, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Truth is is, that which is the case independently of what anybody thinks, believes, Mm -hmm. or perceives. Mm -hmm. And that to us is learned at three-year-old knowledge, but oh, oh, go back before that was writing. That was an impossible insight for anybody to achieve. Mm. Because it's, Mm. um, The first inkling, the very first thing that people would come to realize that where that would be a factor is what you and I call deduction. And and Mm -hmm. it's a fancy word for something you do every day automatically. If somebody tells you, if you're one person, Andy is taller than Bill, and then you hear from another person, Bill is taller than Charlie. Well, you know for sure that Andy is part with that chart, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but, and you have to explain that. You have to invoke the notion of truth. Because if the first premises are both true, then the conclusion must also be true. But when, mm-hmm. it, when people mm-hmm. couldn't hold the premises in their head long enough to see the necessary connection, there was mm-hmm. no notion of truth. But mm-hmm. once people could write things down, they could look, just a minute here, just a minute, if this here is on this here is on this, mm-hmm. this here has got to be on too. See the relationship, but there was no word for it. Mm-hmm. Well, how did they solve it? A guy who apparently worked in an oracle of the dead where his day job was to go over to the other side. His name was Parmenides, and he lived in a city of Aaliyah and his they were they found a statue of his of him where his the what they called him was an iatro-mantis, a, a seer physician but he, he uh for whatever reason he he said and i i was on the road i had been many times before which was you know he was talking about he'd been to the what they call the other world the, of the underworld right the the other side. And he, I'd been there before, but he said, this time he's only like this. Goddess abducted me in this magical vehicle and brought me into this place. And she, she agreed to me and she said, Oh, it's not, you're not dead. She said, It's not, that's not why you're here. It's like I got a song I want to sing to you. And she sang him this song, and it is the very first written out logical deduction and so she said when you go back to earth Parmenides, don't tell people oh. to to say this you know believe this because the goddess says so tell them to work it out in their own minds and see it for themselves so he went back to earth and he would teach this was a song he would teach the students to sing it and sing it and sing it this was what most people didn't read right you had to oral but they would sing the song over and over and over and over until they had that aware, like a vision to them of that. The, the premises are connected by this thing called truth, that there's yeah. something out there that's independent of us. And to them, that was, that was a God. See, they, that was the only thing that they knew at that context that, was, yeah. that had that quality would be the divine. So they would sing this song, yeah. You, until you, you know saw the, the connection, it's just like you. But you've seen that connection, wow. you know, from childhood, as you yeah, thought but about. It. But that do you was. Know, do you know what the song was? Yeah, I mean, it's sure it's written down. He tells the whole okay. story, and it's the uh, the, the argument <laughs> no. is still valid. But see, the point was that the, it, the the point. Yeah, of I want is, to know the song exactly. This is like a logical deduction that. You see, it has that magical quality that you you can go from one thing to another by this, what seems to be magic until you realize the rules, mm-hmm. right? And so it was a, now that same pattern, and I call them logico-philosophical exercises. Another one was done by Ludwig Wittgenstein, it's just this really extraordinary piece of work called Tractatus Logico-Philosophicus where he he there's this the there was a philosophical view at that time called logical atomism which had to do with it's a complex topic in logic really about how how symbols or words refer to things okay but anyway in this context he starts proposition number 1 is that the world is everything that is and that's you know, that's obvious, right? That you know that you could say the universe is all that exists. You know? And so that seems obvious. And then he goes in the second proposition is plainly a logical, just an in, incorrigible logical inference from the first, see. So then mm-hmm. you got well, then, but then that you go from the, the two, then you go to Wait, what third, was the
1: second is, one what was the second one
2: it's i don't remember but oh. it's like it's, okay <laughs> yeah but uh, you know yeah. i could it'd take me an hour to reconstruct it but but then the okay. then you go from the second one to the third one and that's equally obvious logic and then from there mm. from the third to the fourth and it's like and from the the, mm. the fourth to the fifth and the And every step makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: then what you see in Proposition 5 is that if you have carefully followed the logic that you've gone through, you see that this is all unintelligible nonsense. And you really do. You realize that makes no sense. And then the mm. proposition number seven is, which means that about which we cannot speak, we must remain silent.
1: Thank you so much for this incredible. I feel literally this is Christmas, my birthday. I've died <laughs> and gone to heaven. So I literally am so so deeply grateful for you both and for Mate, this. In- I I'm, um, I'm beyond words and beyond words. Beyond Hello, words. beyond words. One more plug for them. Thank you. I'm giving you cyber hugs, <laughs> and I hope I get to do that in person one of these days.
2: With you. Thanks. So, much, so
1: keep me posted if there's ever anything I can do to support you in your work or. Anything, just holler. Thank this is thank you. Yeah, so you guys much. are great. Thank you so much. All right. You both have a beautiful rest of the day. I don't want to say goodbye, but
2: until we meet enjoy again. Enjoy your porch. Enjoy your porch. Yeah, enjoy
1: your enjoy porch. my porch. You too. All right, <laughs> you guys.
0: Thank you for listening to the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show. If you enjoyed this episode, take a moment to like. Subscribe, comment, and share it with your friends. My show can be found on Apple iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to border my new book, A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste, go to your favorite online or brick-and-mortar retailer, then head on over to kellysullivanwalden.com, Tragic 2 Magic input your order number and redeem your bonus gifts. I'm also excited to be offering a DreamWork Practitioner Training. So if that calls to you, go to kellysullivanwalden.com forward slash DreamWork. If you'd like to join me for the live recording of these shows, most Wednesdays at noon Pacific, you can find me on Facebook at Kelly Sullivan Walden Dreams. If you have a question about your dreams or about how to transform your tragic into magic, email me at kelly at kellysullivanwalden.com. Until next time, remember, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And as you awaken to the power of your dreams, you make the world a lighter, brighter, more beautiful place, one dream at a time. Sweet dreams.